NFTs, the future, it's here. But what if we told you that you haven't been told the whole truth? The game is about to change. The voice of the people and the voice of the NFT community collide, bringing you a fresh perspective on NFTs unlike anything you've ever heard before. Hop on this rocket ship with Sean and Vaughn to the moon and hold on tight. Episode number 44 of Shot to the Moon. Of course, my name is Sean Pfeiffer, and I'm joined with my guest every single week. You can find them everywhere in the NFT space. One of those places right here on the Shot to the Moon podcast every single Wednesday. Of course, I'm talking about none other than the Vaughn Schiller. And you can follow him on Twitter at Stephen underscore Schill. Vaughn, kind of, you know, we talked about this a tiny bit, and we try not to talk about too much before we start recording these shows. A little bit of a lull in the NFT space from last Wednesday to today. Yeah, I don't know if it's projects, you know, there's no new projects coming out. I don't know if it's they're not getting the spotlight, so we're not seeing it within the space. And I mean, for myself, again, you spend a lot of time within Discord or just scrolling Twitter, and that's ultimately the spot to be, right? For anyone listening, like realize that Twitter is kind of the hub for NFT. So if you're wanting to really kind of take the full dive in there, you're going to need to be on it. And it just feels like it's the same things being talked about for the most part about Pixel Vault. Oh, my God, something's going on. We're seeing, you know, a little bit of talk about Wolf Game and their cave game. Uh, We're seeing... uh, People not really talk about the Gucci Grails that happened a while back, which were basically a whole bunch of different projects that got gucci clothing on it but it was kind of i i don't even know how you describe it but that that was something that was like the talk of the town for a little bit and most of these things seem to be on kind of like a 24 hour hype cycle but really it it feels like it's blue chip season with the drop of moonbirds with the anticipation of everything that's coming it feels quiet but maybe it's quiet before the storm Maybe oh, we obviously are going to talk about moonbirds quite a bit here and there's there's a lot to unpack I guess let's just jump right into it. If you've been living under a rock, Moonbirds have been a thing over the weekend, and they've built a ton of steam at the time of recording right now. I believe they're sitting right around a 20th floor. Are we surprised that Moonbirds has been as successful as they've been so far? My my call on it was that anything under five ETH is free. If you can pick it up and then on first day, it's going to maximum be about 15. And the first day we saw it kind of hover around nine, 10 ish. And then it just absolutely rocketed <laughs> the following days from there. And I mean, there, there's reasons, there's justifications for different aspects of it. And we'll we'll kind of break it down a little bit. So there was a Twitter thread done by uh, Yo Jeremy. And for anyone that has a shot to the moon space pass, you guys will recognize him from the chat that we had for the Vaughn talk not too long ago. And he basically explained what the Proof Collective as a whole was and what Moonbirds was. So I'm taking a little bit of the information uh, from his post on that and just want to give him a quick little shout out because he was on the talk. So the Proof Collective, which was the original NFT these came from is a membership out of 1000 and it's for high tier NFT collectors and artists. And back in the day, it originally sold for one ETH in a Dutch auction. December uh, 2021. The price in the month of April, it went from 40 ETH to upwards of 95 ETH. So this month alone, the approved collective doubled. It's a collection out of 1,000. So again, the price for those ones, they have reason to move. But let's talk a little bit about what Proof has done. So they previously released Grails for their Proof NFT holders. 
they were able to be minted these grails for 0.1 ETH. And these grails were pieces from very, very well-known artists, and a whole bunch of whitelists, a whole bunch of other stuff. But then more importantly, apart from some of the other drops was that this Moonbirds drop, and that was their big PFP generative collection. We've seen projects time and time again come out saying, hey, we're doing, you know, various art collabs, we're doing this and that, but for whatever reason, the profile picture collections really seem to take over, and so when they announced that we're doing these Moonbirds, that's, you know, really when people started paying attention and looking into things. So we have a grail drop that's done really well with several others, and they've said they are doing another grail. We have this Moonbird drop where they're saying, hey, we're going to have these nesting features and some other stuff, but it's all kind of conjoined in this, we'll call it elitist group of NFT collectors of a team that was founded by a few different individuals. So we'll talk about two of them, one of them being Kevin Rose, who has a podcast and also was a heavy investor in Ripple, Blue Bottle, and Medium. So if you guys know XRP, Ripple's basically the uh, product behind it. And then also uh, Justin Measel, who worked at Google, Twitter, PayPal, Facebook, and Disney. So you can see that there's, you know, two people that have those, you know, massive credentials behind the scenes. And I think connections are a very important part within this space. And so... We get up to this Moonbirds drop. They have it where it's supposed to be a auction for 2.5 ETH going down, but then they kind of realize, hey, the demand's here. It's going to be absolutely crazy, and they change it to being kind of a flat rate of 2.5 ETH, but everybody has to enter into a raffle to win it. A lot of people went out. They, I think they got like, I think it was 13,000 bots that were trying to get in the raffle that they removed. There was still some people that were able to sneak through with that one, but that was kind of the mindset. When these came out, a lot of people were like, okay, you know, people bought for 2.5 ETH and they're going to instantly flip it. And the fact they're at nine, holy shit, they can just sell for like a three, four X right away as it was continuing. Um, so a lot of people kind of faded that aspect, but then forgot, hey, you know, we have a lot of people that might've been sitting on liquidity specifically for this drop. We might have people that FOMO'd in hard because the price was running the way that it does. And I think this is going to be a collection that's here to stay and going to do wondrous things. The use case, I guess, for it, apart from the Discord access and everything else, is that they're having a nesting feature, which is pretty much the same as staking, but they've highlighted instead, you know, over time, there's going to be additional benefits and rewards and highlighting the fact that it's going to be also based off of the trait. So we have some people that bought uh, different ones based off of it being a grail because they're like, okay, I wonder what that's going to be. They've said that for a hoodie, there's going to be a hoodie that are involved for if your owl's wearing that. And for one of the skins that's called Glitch, they've said that they are doing something with X copy and there's only like five or six ones in total for that. So arguably you could get a one of six in X copy unless there's a little bit more. But the idea is that it's a high tier NFT collection for Proof Collective. And then this is kind of that second tier membership. So when we talk about a digital identity, when we talk about, hey, what do people want to represent? I would argue this is probably one of the pinnacle collections that there are for saying, hi, I'm a high tier NFT collector. Yeah. And I love that. I love the digital flex, right? Like that's, I was actually having a conversation with somebody that isn't in the NFT space and they asked me this, literally this question hours ago. I'm not even kidding. They said, hey, Sean, why? Because I was talking to them about my mutant and they were just like blown away with the fact that you know, you own something that's almost $100,000 that's just your your digital identity. 
and kind of understanding why would I try to get into the NFT space. And I basically said, you know, for a lot of people, it is that it's the ability to showcase, you know, it's it's like wearing a Rolex, you know, except you're you're wearing it obviously in a different form and fashion on your social media. When you talked about Moonbirds and, and during a period of what you were saying, it it brought me back to the mechaverse and like the only reason that i'm saying this and hopefully you can see the parallel here when we talked about that drop and the hype that was going into it it, there was an enormous amount of hype and enormous amount of talk about like it was i mean if you remember i think the floor just for you to buy in the secondary what was it it was like seven like seven eight 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 something like that and then obviously it did the complete opposite of moonbirds so i gotta ask you why is that obviously we we don't want to spend time just you know throwing shade at everything that they've done over there why the significant difference when you and i have talked about the fact these new projects a lot of times there's this sense of loyalty and pride of being early on in the nft space for a lot of collectors with the board ape yacht club it's why they've been so diamond handed through this entire process with a lot of other projects like cool cats and now doodles do you see moonbirds having the same sort of of diamond handed mentality long term and do we still see that kind of like is there any sort of bitterness like any sort of you know what I'm referring to from whenever Mechaverse dropped. Is there any of that whatsoever? Is it just all butterflies and rainbows? I th- Okay, great question. I think one of the wildest realizations that people should have from this, and myself kind of included with it, even though you kind of think it in the back of your mind, the yeah. entire space for the past several months have been relatively hype-driven. I think a lot of the projects, when, you know, if we go back Agreed. and listen to... How do we hear about it? Oh, yeah. You know, somebody was talking about it on Twitter. It was just kind of yeah. like the the hot thing at the time. Like, you know, we got into it. Red. Oh, you know what? Like, that could be good with the kind of comparison to some of the other projects that didn't, you know, have a whole lot going to them originally. But, you know, hey, here's a new thing. We'll see what comes of it. And now, because everyone's talking, oh, is Bitcoin going to 100K? Is ETH going to 10K? Oh, NFTs are dead. I can't explain why these NFTs are worth what they are. I think we go through the aspect of things being super culturally relevant instead of technologically relevant. And then you're genuinely not able to explain why NFTs are worth it. And I posted this po- this tweet the other day. I need to go back and find it. But I was like, here's the top 15 projects. Take a stab at it. Explain to me why it's worth what it is. And the majority of the comments, because again, like it was like Azuki, Bored Apes, all, all the typical big projects, and they were saying, oh, you know, like the founders were able to give real life value back to their holders. Uh, the community is very committed. And it, it was a sense of that, like nothing, right? Like if you're if you're somebody who's tuned in right now and you don't know NFTs and somebody says, here's the reason why this NFT just sold for $300,000. That's not good enough. It doesn't justify it. It doesn't make any sense. Now, for the different ones they're talking about, like they're they're not wrong, right? Like the founders and the, the people that created the collection were able to yeah. come up with like some crazy uh, valuation or sorry, just value for people that bought into the project. But what was that? Okay, so there was drops of other NFTs. There was these real life experiences. There was these different celebrities that bought into it. 
But, you know, you have to break it down a little bit more and you can go from collection to collection of saying why this is. And I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, some of these top collections are completely overblown. But if you struggle trying to explain why some of the top NFTs are the price that they are, well, you know, for some of these smaller projects, there's no hope in hell that you're going to be able to properly describe it. And so I think where we're at right now and, you know, to your question about why is this different than like Mechaverse and everything is people are realizing there is massive projects coming. You can wait. You don't need to go all in on the hottest thing in town because it usually ends up getting you burned. And the reason why the new hot thing ends up getting you burned is because nine times out of 10, they don't have anything that they're able to provide you off the bat. So then you're in this kind of lull period that we've been somewhat in the last few days here within the NFT space of, okay, what's going to be next? What's going to happen? And when that doesn't come, people start losing faith. And because that's a new project that came out, you don't have that, you know, proverbial community that's there to back you up, except if it's people that are just really passionate about the project. So you have the slow bleed waiting for the big announcement. You have people being like, oh, believe in the team, believe in the team, believe in the team. And then if what they come out with isn't insane, if it's not something where, hey, they're able to sell for a whole lot of money, a bunch of people say, oh, that's not good. And the the paradigm shifts shift for nfts i think is happening and we're witnessing it right now but we haven't had like the full effect when gary and everybody talks about you know 98 percent of nft projects going to zero this that and the other thing and the amount of you know rug pull projects we've seen the amount of people that haven't really you know done anything they've done one thing and then said oh like we're leaving the project like there was this thing called sushi verse they said they were building a game they came out with an absolutely terrible client and then they were like ah you know what we just don't have the funding anymore we're done And it's like, well, what? So I think it's the realization that the projects with insane Web3 experienced developers, founders, etc. are coming. A lot of people were able to get away with a lot of stuff within 2021. And there's just not as many new people with money to be able to be thrown around in Ethereum right now because we have questions about the government. We have questions about you know, regulations, we have questions upon questions. And really, you know, because we don't have top shot as that like exclusive onboarder that it was at a time, I think the space is just kind of, you know, we're trading within ourselves. And so we're getting smarter while trading within ourselves. I think that's an amazing point. Uh, you, you really, in my estimation, that summarizes everything and wraps it up beautifully uh, in the sense of you you are now not having new money or as much i'm sure that there are still people that i mean listen i genuinely get asked at least four times a week about the nft space from people that have never bought in right and that are like genuinely interested and very curious uh, and lots of people that you know have onboarded to to different places right and different things that are happening uh, kind of in the space, but that being said, it, it does feel like a lot of that is more from within the actual communities that are already established, as opposed to you know coming over from other existing communities too. So I guess here's a good question for you: a good piggyback off what you were just talking about. What is the next event that needs to happen? for that next catalytic onboarding event in the space? I know that that's like, it's such a hypothetical question. It's almost an impossible one to put your finger on. But what do you see 
as the, that momentum shifting, shaking event. You mentioned NBA Top Shot. I think it's a great, great analogy because obviously NBA Top Shot onboarded so many. It onboarded me. It onboarded so many people into the into the actual uh, NFT space. What do we need to do to get those new people jumping into projects as opposed to just recycled money? <laughs> Talk about a loaded question, huh? Yeah. So I had a couple thoughts. One of them being if there's a game that ends up being massive and okay. it's NFT based, I I would arguably say that that could be one of the biggest catalyst events ever, and, right? Like when yeah. we talk about some of the most polarizing video games ever within like, you know, Grand Theft Auto, within League of Legends, within, you know, Warzone. If there is anything that happens to come out of NFTs, it's that game within a year. I mean, we're listen, we're all we're all thinking, yeah, yo, you pixel of all hell, friggin' yeah. But realistically, we don't know and we might not see that until, you know, the following year. But if there is something that comes out from somebody that gets that kind of mainstream attention that really is an insanely fun game that just in- incorporates NFTs, I think that's probably going to be needed as the catalyst event. But the other thing, listen, we talked about it. We kind of shot on it a little bit, but the Coinbase marketplace, you know mm. what? It's easier to onboard people that are already in crypto to NFTs than people that aren't into crypto or NFTs into NFTs. Cause they're going to have to also learn about crypto. And so when we talk about this Coinbase thing, if there is the legitimate, Hey, here's the Coinbase mark Coinbase marketplace. It's easy to use. It's not buggy for some hope and hell. (laughs) It takes like a little bit of the market share out of OpenSea and it onboards those kind of new people where they enjoy that. They're able to take advantage of it. I mean, hopefully, I mean, if Coinbase comes out with an NFT marketplace and they're able to eliminate gas in some kind of capacity, that, yo, it would be insane. But I I really think like unless it's, you know, people setting up at different events, it's either going to be an insane game or... I think we're going to have to rely on a marketplace like Coinbase that's going to onboard people that are in the space, but not in the space. So here's the thing, right? I don't think it can be a game from within the NFT community. And maybe this is where it gets really loaded, right? Is like, is a game, like use Wolf Game, perfect example, right? It's like, it's an NFT game. All the people that are a part of it were NFT heads and they learned about it because of who? Because of Beanie and because he was tweeting about it. And it's like, it's all, you, you're talking about recycled money. That's that's what the Wolf Game is. That's what a lot of these projects are. It's not like this onboarding event. The people that are, call it sharp money, right? Call it sharp money. Call it, those are the sharks. Those are the people that are, you know, they're smart. They're, they're savvy. They understand the NFT space and they're invested heavily into it. I don't think that a game like that is going to be enough to move the needle. I don't think it will. I think it's going to have to be like this, this creator, this, this game that is so mainstream and advertised and maybe something that you can literally buy on your PlayStation and just fire it up on your PlayStation, play it, and they can advertise it in commercials, and there's some sort of tokenomics built into it with the NFT space. I think it's going to have to be something like that as opposed to this, like we live in a bubble, right? We And specifically you, and I'm saying that like in the best way possible, you're constantly surrounding yourself every day with people that are 
avid NFT collectors, right? Like people that that's what they talk about. It's their jargon. It's their lingo. It's their, it's their life. It's their culture. But for us to get to that point where we're, we're onboarding people to the magnitude that we did with NBA top shot early on, I think it's going to have to be with a more of a mainstream game and less of a, of a game that's being built kind of on the blockchain uh, specifically by different groups that we're already associating ourselves with. You talking about the uh, PlayStation thing has got my mind going. I think arguably yeah. if you find that there's something coming out from one of those major game developers, that's probably the time to pay attention because what's happened before within the Apple store and I think Google store, but mainly Apple is that we've had the board Ape mutant yacht or um, the, the mobile game that came out and they had to delay it because it was like, you know, regulations or guidelines and they wouldn't let them run it. And I mean, for Gilded Guardians, they've said like, hey, like we're making sure that we're doing yeah. stuff within the correct way. And while there's still those, you know, projects that are able to get through with that and handle it, I think that most of the mainstream products are going to deny all of that kind of thing until they're able to have their own marketplace until they're able to be their own game aggregator. So I think it'll be interesting because that would mean that, you know, for Sony, for Microsoft and everything else, it's going to be a race to who is able to kind of deliver uh, that first. And that's, that's exactly it. And then when that happens, if that's the, that's why I wanted to ask you, if that's where your head's going with the, the catalytic event that is necessary to generate this, this flock of new, new eyeball this, cause that's when the, the, the entire space gets crazy. That's when it starts getting out of hand because then all of a sudden you have the sharp money, which is, you know, people that are just recycling and jumping from, you know, hopping for project to project and jumping around and, you know, doing what they do. Right. And then you have all this new money coming in as well. That's when it's a game changer. That's when things start getting really interesting. I got to ask you, VCon, right? I want to circle back around to that. I know we talked about it a lot last week. No need to get into it in that much detail again this week. Floor's tanking, by the way. I don't know if you I bought it last fun. week, but yeah, it's, it's cheaper point, now. <laughs> no, it's point four, and I haven't. And I was going to ask you about that. We'll talk about it on the air. What do you think as far as like catalytic movement? It's the perfect analogy of what we're talking about here. They and that group of people that are going to be at VCon, there's only so many that can be there, right? And they're all going to be in that bubble, right? So is it is it going to be something to ignite the nft space or is it again just this this recycling of money through the ecosystem well i mean so for like at v like you're talking about like kind of like the event of like how things yeah. are gonna roll yeah because yeah. i mean the the way that i looked at it from like nft nyc is i walked away from that feeling like super recharged but also it's like almost depressed in a way like because afterwards it's like wow i get to hang out with my best friends pretty much in the space every single day and then you go from that to you know essentially just going back to your apartment and talking to a webcam and talking to these faces over text that are their nfts and not their faces and everything and it's like damn it like this would be crazy if we were able to do it more. So it's kind of like a crisscross between the two. But I, I think ultimately it, I wouldn't call it like a catalyst event. I think what it does is it props up all IRL parties and stuff. If you're somebody that enters the space, let's say today, if you're listening, welcome. <laughs> but you'll probably be like, okay, like these IRL events, like, Oh man, are these like a whole bunch of like video game nerds or these people that I even want to hang out with and all this kind of stuff. 
And then when they see this stuff, it is like, oh, wow, okay, this is an extremely, like, fun crowd. There's so much going on. Everybody's hanging out. And for the most part, it's, you know, immaculate vibes. They'll be like, okay, like, I want to go to other events. So I think it's actually going to be a great catalyst event for IRL events for NFTs. But I don't think it's actually going to, like, kind of spearhead a huge, like, NFT movement within the market otherwise. Yeah. Okay. But you, you mentioned it. The, the floor is point four. It's, it's kind of gross. Uh, looking at what the price of the tickets are, don't show Amanda. I'm just saying it doesn't look great right now. Why do you think that is? Why why is everybody fighting if they are uh, VCon right now? And and why is that? Why are the ticket prices dropping so much? I, I, you know, I don't really think it's necessarily fighting things. And I mean, with the fact that some of them were selling for you know basically two ETH at a point. It's kind of the, you know, maybe realization for people that were, number one, looking to flip. If anybody tried flipping that, they failed. And, you know, when they do that, they try to fire sell. And that, you know, sometimes drives down the floor. I've seen that with Top Shot. But the, I think overall, it's the, hey, the event isn't going to be happening for another month. Would I rather have just the VCon ticket? Or would I rather use that, you know, ETH, 0.5 ETH, depending on who you are, to be able to trade in potentially some of the biggest drops of the year with the Yuga land sale if they needed liquidity, like a little bit extra to buy a Moonbird at the time. I think that VCon ticket pricing is getting affected by that. There's a chance that people are saying, hey, you know, like I don't actually want to go to the events or whatever, but I think it's going to be one of the top events of the year. And I think it's going to be very much worth going for. And it doesn't make sense right now that the price is 2x what it was for NFT NYC see when it's like a four-day event and so much is happening for it so now i guess the question is it is it time to buy like is this am i buying at the the floor i I mean listen i think if it goes below like 0.4 that's that's when some serious stuff starts looking but also for gary v if you're in for v friends too they finally started allow minting uh for the friends list so there's a whole bunch of them and there's a chance that people sell their vcon ticket if they're 50 50 about going to try to snag one of those um because they're hovering around an eth floor right now love it all right well once it drops below 0.4 i guess we're all in you know what I'm not all in on? NBA Top Shot. NBA Top Shot has been... Whew, I'm going to get blasted for what I'm about to say. But it's been one of those things that I, I've i held on to entirely too long. And I know that like there's there's some people that you know have been saying, you know, Diamond Hands, Diamond Hands, Diamond Hands. I haven't sold them because I, I fucking love them, Vaughn. Like, I, I love my moments. And it's like, it's more of just a... Call me ignorant. Call me stupid. I should have sold my collection when it was worth 140, 150,000. And now I look at my collection value. I literally just pulled it up on Moment Ranks. It's at 27,000 right now, Vaughn. I mean, that's, that's kind of rough. So then you start kind of connecting the dots and you're like, why? Right? Like, what's the, what's the deal? Why is it, why is it priced where it is? And maybe you have some more answers to that. So word on the street is on Tuesday at the day of recording this, um, there were some some things that went wrong on NBA Top Shot side, right? A little bit of a, a pot that was stirred. So I guess for one of their challenge rewards, when they were distributing them, they somehow had some kind of internal glitch or maybe there was something wrong when they were uh, coding it, entering it. I, I have no idea the back end here for Top Shop, but there was 620 collectors who accidentally received 11 packs instead of one. 
as their reward moment for it. So over 6,000 packs got entered to the marketplace. And this was, you know, a few days after the kerfuffle that happened where there was one of the original run it back packs that were uh, randomly put for sale for like 75 bucks. And those ended up selling, ended up obviously kind of impacting the floor for anybody that was collecting those moments. I mean, some would say, hey, maybe that's a good buying opportunity. But as we know, as you've said, Top Shot holders have been diamond handsing the hell out of some of the moments. And it seems yeah. like there's kind of pitfall after pitfall. The team comes out on Twitter saying this is unacceptable. We'll do better. And I think the problem with that is that a lot of people are saying just, you know, hey, it seems like it's words. This has happened over and over again. Is there really anything that's going to uh, change with this? And my my kind of response, and I was talking about it on stream earlier, when we look at Top Shot, it realistically, from day one, was physical cardboard collectibles, but digitized with some additional benefits here and there. Well, for the longest time, was talking about Luca, LaMelo, LeBron, you know, the rookie moments for Luca and some of these other rookies are going to be amazing. It's the realization that, you know, out of a, let's just hypothetically say, 5 million moment marketplace, there's like 4,000 of each of these rookie cards. And the market turned out insane right away. Like the, the prices were insanely high, but I don't yeah. necessarily think they were inaccurate. Because if you go back, you look at cards, rookie cards are really worthwhile, oh, sure. yeah, you know, yeah, 15, sure. 20 years down the line. They're massive. Yeah. And so for yeah. me, I find it so weird when people are screaming, hey, we want utility. Hey, we want this and that. Top Shot literally doesn't need to add any utility. Doesn't need to. And Nothing. they will sell packs over and over and over again. And I think, you know, the smartest thing Top Shot could potentially do is just say, hey, that's what we are. But I don't exactly. think they'll, they'll ever do that. Oh, I love that. T- Yo, I just got goosebumps for the first time on the show. You told me you had a spicy take. Was that it? Was that the one? Because it was good. It was really good. <laughs> It was a good take, man. I I really think so too. And you know, I've been thinking it, but I didn't really know how to say it. And you you said it perfectly. Why not just own that you're a collectible? It would be like the sports card market, like the hobby, like saying we got this five million dollar Mickey Mantle 1952 PSA 10, but. I, we're gonna have some people be able to buy this card and hang out in person. Just just own what you are. I feel like, and this is a weird way to say it, but I feel like they're almost trying to be an NFT too much, right? I feel like they're like NBA Top Shot, but maybe just them saying, hey, collecting a LaMelo Ball NFT, his moment, his Series 2, his rookie moment, maybe that's enough. Honestly, between me and you, that's the only reason that I collected it. Well, that, right? yeah, that's the thing, too. It's like they, they've sent different thing or people to, you know, draft night to different playoff games. And that's something they can still do with it. But I think if they like own that aspect, like why do people buy challenge moments right now? It's not to uh, get an experience. It's to uh, they get, get the other flashy moment. Yeah. that's probably going to be having yeah. some kind of value on the secondary market. Like exactly. that's what NFTs are. And that's that's the that's like the problem. Right. Where I think that, you know, there's 
a breakdown of collections where for me, there's probably like three to four NFTs that I have in my collection. And I'm talking like specific, you know, branded ones where for like Board Ape Yacht Club, you know, that one I have or I buy into because I'm like, okay, like I recognize that these guys are going to do some huge technological advancements. I think that people are going to really want what they do and they're creating this, you know, overarching brand. And I admittedly expect some kind of financial return on it for the other you know whatever 100 plus different collections that i own of i don't expect anything from it at all i'm like okay like these are cool sure maybe certain ones are some kind of like beneficial thing but most things i buy was just because hey i like it and that's that's realistically what top shot is and they have you know arguably one of the biggest brands in the entire space partnered up with them why are we reinventing the wheel? And I do want to say this too. Like, this is going to feel like a show where we just, I think we're going to dig on Top Shot, Top Shot more this show than we ever have on, on any show before. And I'm just going to like, I don't really want to hold anything back anymore. The fact that they have continued to run into issue after issue after issue after issue, I legitimately felt like when you just told me the story about what happened today, as of, well, I know it's yesterday for those that are listening to this, but on Tuesday, when you told me the story about what happened, I, fe- I felt like this is like two months in. Like we we lived this. You remember that? Like we mm-hmm. we, we went through this. Like I, it flashed me way back, and I'm like, how how in the world are you still here a year and a half later? Why are we still running into the same issues that we've been running into? Is this like a is it a mechanical problem? Like is there some sort of issue that they're they they have internally? Is it a a structure of the team, then you start trying to point fingers, right? Is it Jacob's fault? Is it Roam's fault? And if you look on Twitter, man, it's everybody's fault. It's everybody's fault. Like, <laughs> yeah, Twitter's toxic. It's fucking, it's everybody's fault. But the thing is, the problem is, it's a problem. It's okay to say that and admit that, but NBA Top Shot has a, a flaw. It has a problem with their inability to just get things right consistently. Over time, even the people with the biggest diamond hands, like like myself, I mean, I've I've held strong, man. I've held strong. I haven't bought a lot, but I haven't sold like hardly anything. I sold an Anthony. You remember the Anthony Edwards uh, moment that I got in a reward that was number forty seven. I sold that the other day for three grand, and like I thought to myself, I'm like, man. I I don't think I don't plan on ever selling this moment. It was the first moment that I had sold in months like a long time. And I did it because I just, I don't know, man, there's some red flags with NBA top shot right now. And I don't want to like create a FUD storm with everybody listening to the show, but I do want to be honest and transparent. I, I have been very disappointed with a lot of the execution and, and maybe it's as simple as what you said, just own who you are, like own, own what you stand for. And maybe that's all it takes. Like, do you, and that may, that's a good question for you. If they did just say, Hey, listen, like to kind of treat themselves like, like a sports card. Right. But obviously an NFT version and, and being able to, to own that identity where you can rip packs and whatever the case may be. Do you think it would help top shot? It's kind of obvious, even though the way we're saying stuff, maybe it doesn't come across that way, but like, that's what they are right now. Literally. That's what they Literally. are. And so the, the problem that we have is that that is getting messed up. And because there's no other utility really available for people that yeah. it's like, okay, 
don't focus on anything else. Please just only focus on that aspect. And that's, I guess that's kind of like the scary part with it. And to be honest, like if, if we were talking me and you, there's probably, we don't care. Like if there's a mess up, if a couple people got packed, we're probably like, you know what? All right, whatever. Yeah, whatever. But but the problem is everyone else that gets super heated, hates it, goes and spews it all over Twitter, tells everybody it's the end of the world. Why do I get never lucky and get rewarded on top shot screwing up? Like why in the hell? And then you have like all this kind of like negative sentiment that's built up about it because the, the people within the community are pissed when, you know, you take your average person, they're probably like, eh, it's whatever, right? And so it's not it's not us getting directly mad at the team in a way. It's more like, yo, stop pissing everybody else off that's gonna fud the hell out of our bags. And I think that's the the biggest problem is like there's there's a clear identity crisis and you you mix the identity crisis in my estimation along with the fact that the deliverables just ha- I mean, again, like I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but like they just haven't been met consistently. I remember when I was like heavy into NBA, I was streaming NBA Top Shot streams every single night, you know, for months and months and months at a time. And I remember then feeling the exact same thing that I feel today. And that's just, in my estimation, it's inexcusable. It's it's really hard for me to, um, you know, even though you said like you can overlook some some sorts of errors and you know packs that are eventually you just get fed up bro that's anything right like that's any at some point you're like man i just went out i'm curious to see if a lot of the whales in the space and how they're feeling maybe that's honestly maybe that's a great conversation maybe we should grab somebody else that was an og maybe a top 20 collector top 10 collector on nba top shot and bring them on the shot to the moon podcast in the coming weeks because i'd be curious to see their sentiment and curious to see how wavering they've been with their diamond hands since day one. All right. Hot take here. Cause I guess it's kind of like the way that happened with me is I, I think there was so many of them that had this gigantic top shot portfolio, right. you know, once in a lifetime financial gains over being able to put, you know, 10, 20, you know, maybe even 30,000 into top shot in the early days. And so them taking portions of their portfolio out during that, if they did it at the right time, they're probably up massively in NFTs too. So they really don't necessarily care as much about the top shot bags, right? Like I just think fundamentally they don't, but like, I mean, having those people, you know, they're either selling off or they're holding. And I don't know if many of them are selling off. I don't know if many of them are holding, but the distribution aspect for them was definitely something that probably hurt them more than anything they've ever done. Like with them releasing the packs early on, obviously they wanted to onboard more people, but I think it was the aspect of them, you know, wanting to keep things scarce to then suddenly completely flooding the market. The whole, way that that entire situation played out was bad from the get-go and honestly great fantastic point because the only way that top shot could fuck this up the only way that they could fuck it up is by pissing those guys off that's it because you're right they've already made their money they've gotten their back they've moved on to other projects the only way that they liquidate Right. Like, look at me as a perfect example. The only reason that I'm selling is because on it, genuinely, I'm a little bit frustrated. I'm a tiny minnow compared to a top 10 collector or a top 20 collector. I think the only way that they actually start trying to sell off their collection is if they're pissed because of the deliverables, because of the execution, because of different things that are 
you know, potentially mechanically flawed uh, from within NBA Top Shot. So basically what I'm saying, I guess, and maybe what you're saying too, as long as Top Shot just doesn't rock the boat too much, maybe they just re-identify themselves more as collector pieces and less on focused on the utility aspect of everything that they're building out. I think they'll be okay. I think it's this over-promise, under-deliver that they keep running into. It's probably the same person seeing how, you know, it was based off of like distribution or packs uh, going live, right? Like somebody has to put in that stuff. So there's probably an error. And I mean, I can imagine with flow being so new that they have to hire some new and promising engineers and stuff's going to happen along the way, you know, 10, 15 years out, we're obviously probably not going to say any of this kind of stuff, but I think, I think looking back is going to be something that's, uh, that's fun for us to do now, guys, with that said this week for the interview, I was able to uh, sit down and chat with the creator of ExoGame, which is a project that's coming up. It's going to be a project that's minting on Ethereum, but then their overall workings is going to be on Polygon. They partnered with Polygon Studios, and I think it's kind of interesting. It's something that, as well, we're going to be getting some whitelists and maybe even some free giveaways for Shot to the Moon Space Pass holders. So guys, sit back, enjoy this chat with Odin from ExoGame. We like talking about upcoming mints because there's something special about the upcoming mints of the world because, you know, you might find out, hey, this could be one of the next biggest projects. And then in some cases, you have a team that's been developing stuff for a little bit and they're bringing it all to the surface and you're able to jump in on the first time that they land. And today we're talking about XO Game. It's kind of space adventure, it's kind of DeFi, it's kind of a little bit of everything, uh, but we have project founder Odin here with us. Odin, thanks so much for coming on. Do you want to give us a little bit of a backstory about who you are, how you got into NFTs as a whole, and then what this EXO game is all about? Hey, very nice meeting you. Pretty much new to crypto, which is to say about uh, eight months. I love the idea of blockchain ownership. The moment that I understood the inner technical workings of NFTs and how they can actually be used for uh, uh, different purposes, except showing JPEGs, I immediately got enamored with it. Yeah, started working uh, working on, on a project. EXO is fully on-chain MMORPG. It's a strategy game. It's fully on-chain. It gives the user the opportunity to actually own both his player character and the in-game items that he gets. You have this MMO kind of idea here, so that's kind of pegs the question. All right, it sounds like there's going to be more transactions on it. We have this issue right now where ETH with the gas fees, are you guys going with a layer two solution or are you doing your own chain or what does that look like? Uh, we're actually in a partnership with uh, Polygon and Polygon Studios, uh, and that is because immediately from the beginning we realized that if we wanted a truly on-chain game, the best way obviously is not on Ethereum mainnet due to gas costs. So after looking at a lot of the offerings and not wanting to roll up our own blockchain from uh, from the beginning, we decided to uh, work with Polygon because they have very low gas fees and overall the transaction speed is something that uh, we're quite happy with when you have a partnership with polygon just kind of curious from that aspect what is it what does it look like is it something where they kind of like just back you for development for you know highlighting the project as a whole what does it mean to be a partner with polygon studios it, it covers multiple things it covers 
co-marketing. It covers backing us with backing us up with developer access and having access to their developers and any questions that we might have on regarding the inner workings of portal system and everything else. Just to give you some clarity, I mean, obviously, uh, I don't know if by the time that uh, this uh, gets broadcasted, uh, probably our white paper will be out. Just to give you some context, the main NFTs will be minted on Ethereum mainnet. And the moment that the player wants to start the game, they will be able to do so by using the FX portal mechanism from, uh, uh, from Polygon. Uh, which is the state sync mechanism. Uh, what it does is basically it stakes your NFT into a portal contract and it sends a message to Polygon to enable your avatar to be to be part of the game. So going the other way around, whenever the whenever a user wants to finish uh, the game or wants to get out of the game, they can just unstake the NFT from the portal contract and they will be able to get the NFT back into their possession. You talked about the characters a second ago, and you said, you know, your characters are going to be able to kind of be leveled up and have all these different things, but when you check out the website, it talks about 10,000 planets. So is the mint going to be planets, or is it going to be characters? This is a fun thing, and you're asking me a lot of, uh, a lot of alpha questions right now. We are quite happy to say that it's both. So uh, when you are minting the planet, you are minting it as a barren planet. But the moment that the game starts, you will also receive a civilization for, you th- for that planet. How that works effectively is basically you have both the planet and the PFP of the civilization in the same, uh, in the same NFT. <laughs> and it's dynamically accessible, so you can switch from, uh, from, one, to, from one to the other. Is that something almost like the rap doodles in a way, or is that just kind of a completely different theory that my mind to go into? For doodles, they have something where they have their original NFT, then you have the opportunity to wrap it. In this case, is that kind of the same idea, or is it, you know, like two NFTs with it, or is it just kind of the ability within the game to kind of like switch between the two? No, it's actually something that is uh, not ne- not nearly enough used from uh, from our point of view, uh, and it's a way to have instead of a simple JPEG, you have a whole website that controls that NFT in essence. So that means that not just we are able to show in the same NFT a dynamic NFT uh, showing at the same time both the planet and the civilization. But you will be able to customize the visibility of uh, of the traits of your civilization, of your PFP. So that means that if you are not a fan of uh, a bandana that you have on your face, you can toggle off the visibility for that uh, for that trait. And that means that the way that it's shown on OpenSea, for example, it's the way that you want it to be shown. And, and then, okay, so you have the ability to change how your characters look within it. You have the ability to have these planets. But then for some of these in-game items you guys have listed on the site, some feedback that I've gotten when I've you know, brought it up on stream, we were looking at it before, was people were assuming that this is a card game because of those in-game items. Is that 
correct to any way, or is it just kind of like the design that you guys have for explaining the in-game items that people have that, oh, it's a card game assumption? It, it is not a card game. So uh, it's actually a 3D game where you can browse through the whole galaxy, look at the different uh, solar systems, look at the different quadrants, visit planets by clicking on them and looking there for looking up their stats and so on and so forth. But the card items themselves, we actually style them that way because you as a player can use tokens and time to research those items. But because we actually believe in the digital ownership, um, those game items, the moment that you have finished the research on them, they're not just applied to your uh, to your planet and and that's it. No, they are actually ERC one one five five tokens, which means that they are semi fungible tokens. Which means that once you research one of those items, you as a player have a choice. You can either burn it, and by burning it, you are applying all those stats to to your planet, or because it's an ERC-1155 token, it's immediately available for secondary trade on the secondary market. The way that it works is basically you are researching those items in order to evolve your civilization level plus increase your base stats. Your base stats as a planet are attack, defense, reach, and health. Each one of those items gives you bump, whether it's a fixed bump or a percentage bump, to one of those one of those stats. It, for, further questioning kind of different stuff that I have had, like assumptions of, and then other people that have kind of like thrown back to me on things, is you guys have this kind of fund and the DAO that's being talked about. You're having this entire MMORPG aspect to it, so the question of, is it a game, is it a DAO, is it a little bit of both? How, how would you answer that kind of question? Well, I think that those are two separate things. So the game itself is a game, uh, and the DAO is a is a DAO. Um, what we are calling the EXO fund is, um, let's say, investment type uh, of fund that we want to use to actually give back to the community. What do we mean by that? So we're going to be establishing a DAO that will be governed by the planet holders. And every one of those planet holders can submit a proposal to the, uh, to the DAO that, for, for a project that extends the EXO universe. So let's say that you, Schiller, for example, you are, very good, you are a very good wordsmith. And you would like to write a short novel about your civilization. You would like to write your backstory. And you would like to expand on, on the on the EXO IP and universe. If you are submitting a proposal to the DAO, a very well-structured proposal about what your novel would look like, then all members of the DAO would be able to vote on it. And if it's approved, grant you um, a lump, uh, lump sum of money to uh, bring that, uh, that project forth. The vibe that I'm getting is that you have kind of like aspirations to make this something special with it. So I guess to follow up with that, hey, you might be able to have community members that are really able to build up their own thing th- through XO, the XO uh, DAO. 
what, what's kind of like your aspirations here? Is it something where, you know, you're wanting to make a mark on the map? Is it something where potentially you're wanting to get recognized by different like game studios, get, you know, picked up by anybody that way? What's, what's kind of, you know, Odin's overall goal for what EXO is to become? Our goal is to basically make EXO the game evolve and be a part, be a central part of the uh, Web3 revolution and the GameFi revolution. And um, right now we're talking about just the first part of the game. So our plans are uh, expand much further than this. We're going to be outlining uh, several of them in our white paper, especially season two, which basically would expand on everything that happened in in season one with the planets and everything else, but also introducing a new class of players. So our aspirations would be to basically see this project, one, uh, evolve as a game itself and explore different other ways to, let's say, experience the EXO universe. And two, we would like to have the community take part into uh, this extended universe, right? So there is a lot of uh, science fiction franchises that have benefited greatly from uh, fans, right? So everybody's talking about fan fiction and everybody's talking about uh, books that are actually part of uh, part of the extended universe. Or uh, and I'm not just limiting this to uh, to uh, book writers. I'm whatever you can or you want to do. For example, if you want to write a comic book or if you want to draw a cartoon or something like that, what, whatever your artistic inclinations are, I'm sure that you can submit a proposal to the, to the DAO. And basically, uh, if the project has legs, it will be uh, awarded a grant. Now, one thing that if you uh, happen to be in the Shot to the Moon community, I pinged a couple weeks back because there was a... NFT offering that you guys were giving out for people that were watching the video and then submitting their wallet. And now we we all have a badge sitting uh, in our wallets for that. What is that badge for? Is it just kind of like a cool commemorative piece at this point? Technically, yes and no. So it is a proof of presence NFT because uh, it was initially awarded to the first people who watched our short movie. But at the same time, it's the only way to be on the whitelist. So whitelist will be open to everybody who holds uh, one of these badges. And not just that, but holding it, holding on to it means that once the game starts, you will be, um, uh, you will be, you will have access to other perks uh, in game. I'm not going to name them right now because uh, they're going to be revealed at a later date. But let's just say that. You will start with a small advantage. A small advantage. Okay, okay. I guess we'll uh, keep an eye on that one. Now, the other thing that kind of stands out when you're just kind of like observing everything you guys are doing is it looks like you have over 10 people working on this project already. I haven't seen an exact date yet for the Mint. haven't seen a cost about it. How how did this kind of come about where you guys have a team that you're kind of all building before you've even raised any capital? And then I guess following that, uh, do you have any details of when the Mint is? First of all, the team, we've been in the industry. And when I say industry, I, I mean it in a very loose sense because... Uh, 
part of the team has been in the visual effects industry, part of the team has been in the advertising industry, part of the team has been in the development industry, and part of the team was uh, into the game development and uh, concept art and so on. So uh, we've known uh, each other, at least a large part of us, for uh, for quite a bit of time. And uh, when we assembled the team, that meant that we had a lot of easier collaboration, right? Uh, we managed to get uh, some uh, some money from uh, a small investment, and that meant that we could actually work on this project in a stealth mode without actually money from from the community because we actually wanted to be able to give the community the game immediately after Mint happens. And following up on your Mint question, we do not know for sure, but we are expecting uh, the Mint to happen in the next two, three, four weeks. And and just to clarify, that's going to be on Ethereum. That is correct, yes. As you guys are kind of leading up to the drop here what's what's kind of going on in the back of your mind is like a project founder because I, I imagine that we have a fair few of them that listen to it what are what are some of the things that are going on in your mind that you're like hey here's kind of like my checklist or things you want to kind of be staying on top of so there's a lot of things going on because uh, everybody in the team is very busy doing different things um, um some some people are uh, still working on uh uh, new traits and uh, uh, new accessories or uh, new equipment for uh, the civilizations. And that is because we want to make them as unique as possible. And some people, we are working on growing the community. Community is very important to us. And, well, not just us, but every every um, blockchain Web3 project. And this is something that we've been hard at work. Uh, we've been growing both our uh, Discord server and our Twitter. We actually have uh, currently a giveaway uh, uh, running for $5,000, uh, split into 10 different uh, rewards, once we hit 25,000 people on uh, on Discord. So you, you gave out the badges and everything before. Is there any opportunities people are going to have to get a badge themselves, or is there going to be like waitlist offerings? Within the Discord, how are you guys playing that out? Yeah, so basically, the, we haven't finished the whole number of badges. The whole number of badges is going to be around 1,000. And so there's still time left. And we will be having both giveaways that are uh, done in the server, plus rewarding people who are active in our, in our server. And we've also also been fortunate enough to uh, have uh, several collaborations with very notable communities uh, such as uh, Look Labs or uh, Voku or even Doodles. Just kind of talking here about the NFT space, and I mean, we're going into this week where, you know, there's some big things happening. Everybody's expecting the Board Ape Yuga Land sale. We're expecting, you know, whatever happens with Gary V and the V Friends too. Pixel Vault seems like it's picking back up after, you know, a little bit of time, not not a whole lot of some people feeling kind of like negative about the NFT and crypto markets. What are your kind of general thoughts about crypto and NFTs and then, of course, their longevity? To echo Gary V, I think that 99% of uh, all projects are going to be here in, not in 10 years, but they're not going to be here in, in five years or maybe even one year. 
But I think that we will see an emergence of projects that are built by people with experience in, in, in the Web2 world and adapting and embracing the Web3 world. There is no shortage of, of talent out there. And I think that when people start realizing the benefits of Web3 and what it can bring and the number of technological advances that, uh, that, it, can, uh, that can, it can bring to the table, we'll see more and more projects and I'm not just talking about here about art projects because art projects are still going to be here. Uh, some of them in, even in, in the long run because art is art. But I'm talking about uh, projects that have utility, such as uh, games, such as uh, software as a service um, project and, and so on. So I think that the road is paved with the current projects and some of them will definitely not survive, but we will see a larger and larger number of uh, projects popping up that have uh, stronger uh, utility offerings. I agree. I, I think that right now we're in a stage when things are more culturally relevant than technologically relevant. And when that, uh, when that switch happens, it's going to be amazing. Listen, Odin, I really want to thank you for jumping on here and giving a little bit of a breakdown. But one last time, just to kind of leave people with some thoughts here. Is there any things that you want people to walk away from this conversation remembering or knowing about EXO? Apart from what we've already discussed, it would be a great pleasure for uh, everybody um, to have everybody on our server and to find out more. And obviously, uh, to have uh, feedback and interaction once we release our white paper. Again, this is something that I can't stress enough. Community is very important to us and the feedback of the community is very important to us. And we know that we did not spill the beans so much, so to say regarding details of the project but now we'll have the white paper coming up in the next couple of days and also a number of announcements that we'll have around partnerships so that means that um, interactions with the community are going to be uh, more and more important and we we really want to listen to the feedback from them Awesome. And guys, if you are a Shot to the Moon Space Pass NFT holder, when they do release that white paper, we'll do kind of a full in-depth thing as a group within the Discord, so be sure to keep an eye on that. And then if you're wanting to follow ExoGame on Twitter, it's at O-X-E-X-O Game. So it's 0-X-X-O Game. Uh, but again, Odin, thanks so much for coming on and excited to chat with you again in the future. Thank you for having me, and it's always a pleasure. So good chat there with Odin. I mean, the way that I look at it is I question him regarding the card game, the MMORPG. Everybody's got different assumptions about things as they're coming out. And, you know, with the aspirations of having this kind of fully fledged MMO, we still have the questions about like, hey, are these play to earn games going to work? I don't feel that that one necessarily is going to be that great on border we're looking for. But I think there's a chance that people within the space uh, are going to find it intriguing. And the aspect, again, with it kind of being on Polygon, I'm curious. And that's something that I was super bullish on before about projects that aren't on ETH. Are we going to see ones that really kind of pop off? And this could be one that, you know, has that potential.
we, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the conversation. I want to circle back around to it because it's just been bothering me. And I really want to ask you a question just really quick. NBA top shot. We've always said it's going to be here. It's not going anywhere. It's going to be here five years from now, 10 years from now. And I know that that's something that you had kind of alluded to. Like maybe it doesn't matter in 10 years. Do we still feel that way? Like, do you, do you think that there's any world where top shot becomes like, Irrelevant? Yeah, no, I, oh, okay. She's talking about spicy takes. No, I don't think so. Like, I mean, the, the the worst case situation that could happen is what happened with like MLB on uh, wax like that. Yeah. I guess they lost the license or they decided to go elsewhere. That just kind of went down the drain. And as long as that partnership's intact, which it sounds like it is, especially with the fact you have like Kevin Durant, like being one of the investors in it sure. and multiple other people, I think that there's a lot of vested interest in making sure that Dapper has NBA top shot. And again, like the platform is going to evolve over time. And I think it's more of, okay, what, what happens with the flow blockchain more than necessarily what happens with NBA top shot. Fair enough. So as long as they're in bed with the NBA, they should be good is what you're saying. As soon as that becomes, that becomes a problem, then you you need to start panicking. Is that when all the big whales, the, the OGs that have just left their moments sitting in their accounts for, you know, now potentially almost years, is that when they start making the move? Maybe, maybe that's the event. So I, uh, I, I would agree with you. I've never talked this. I don't want to be like the Debbie Downer on NBA Top Shot. You're probably like, yo, Sean, what the fuck are you? What are you on today? It really has been kind of a, um, I don't know, I guess a discovery conversation for me. Uh, where we're, we're talking about, you know, potentially some of the, the major red flags here uh, with NBA Top Shot. All right. So as we kind of come to a close here, I want to ask you one more question. And it's a conversation that I had a couple of days ago with a buddy of mine. And he was asking about crypto punks and, and board API club. And we were talking about kind of the back and forth. And obviously we know the flippings happen. We know that board API club is, is now in front uh, of crypto punks. We had this conversation a long time ago. And I remember when it was the complete opposite, whenever we started recording these podcasts, I want to just circle around to it to ask you where you stand today versus when we had this conversation, like, nearly nine months ago knowing that board ape has kind of taken over is is the gap just becoming wider and wider i mean the fact that yuga now owns crypto punks i'm very curious how they treat it because i mean arguably they could do something where they really make crypto punks the next big thing does that mean that they're going to pass board apes does that mean that now this is a competition does you know their acquisition just mean that they're making sure that you or uh larva labs doesn't do anything and then crypto punks are essentially just that you know they exist they were one of the first ones and they have that nostalgia vibe to it and Honestly, I don't know, but I don't foresee them ever allowing Bored Apes to be worth more than CryptoPunks. And, uh, you know, the only way that that's happening is from some of the rares, which people have said, you know, Bored Ape floor might be higher, but a, you know, top tier Bored Ape will never match what a, you know, one of the super rare CryptoPunks will ever go for. And to that point, I agree. But in terms of just value and everything else. I, I don't see a flip again. I think board apes just reign King. Yeah. If you could have, let's just fun question Two crypto punks or a rare board ape. Let's just call it a top. I don't know. 250 rarity. We're taking the board ape, right? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't. I, there's no reason for me because, like, I I think CryptoPunks are cool and whatnot, but I don't really like see a value prop for owning one of them now. So, yeah, for sure, just the the rare board ape. When you, that's a good. <laughs> I hate to keep asking questions. I promise we're gonna wrap no, this up. We've gone entirely too long. When you when you see somebody rocking a CryptoPunk as their their avatar, and then you you put them side by side with a board ape, does it it feels completely different, right? It gives off a completely different vibe. Oh, for sure. And I think that like through time and the space and everything, there's a lot of different personalities that are behind certain things. And obviously there's the financials behind it, but then more importantly, the aspect of, you know, what, what does it stand for? What does it mean for board apes? You know, it's kind of that like status symbol. It's something that's cool. It's usually people that are, you know, somewhat open. I guess I'm stereotyping in a way here, but you know, a lot of the times when I go on Twitter and I look up a crypto punk, if I see them tweeting or something, it usually says they're a founder of a project. They're in some kind of tech field within web three. And they have kind of like a lot of information or insight specifically directed around the web three world. Um, and it feels that I guess in a way that they're, you know, more builders. Well, obviously some people are just commentators, but punks are definitely the vibe from the personalities that rock them to just the images themselves, I think are quite different. Yeah. 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 For sure. Guys, we do want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors over at Nifted since day one. You talk about OG podcast. Whenever we talked about that on the very first one ever recorded here at shots of the moon, they've been sponsoring ever since we launched here on the shot to the moon podcast. And let me just tell you this, they are going straight to the moon, Vaughn. These displays, incredible. And I got a little peek behind the curtain, Vaughn, at some of the things that they're going to be working on. These displays, you're going to hear about it. It's gonna no, it's gonna be good. Super excited for that, and just kind of a delivery update as well. Uh, I know a couple of you have uh, picked them up, and I've seen you in the Nifted Discord uh, regarding that. Again, they had some of the supply chain issues, but it sounds like they are packaging up all of their different displays, and they are uh, going to be arriving very shortly. So, uh, if you're somebody who's been waiting a little bit for that to get resolved, it has been, uh, and we're excited to see uh, when their ne- sh- next shipment comes in and how quick they end up selling out. Absolutely. Guys, we will be on the campfire on Friday night, or I guess Friday. Yeah, it depends on where you're at. If you're overseas, it's Friday night. It'll be in the afternoon for everybody here in the States uh, and those in Canada. We will see you guys at 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every single week on the campfire. Uh, And and Vaughn will be uh, giving you guys some updates regarding the project. And hopefully we'll be able to see you guys in there because we are going to be moving some more of these these conversations that we have on the podcast into the Discord. We'd love to hear y'all's feedback, right, Vaughn? 100%. 100%. If you got any questions, any uh, any thoughts in the space, would love to hear it and uh, kind of debrief with you. It's going to be hopefully, I, I've never said hopefully because of a little bit of skepticism on my part, but this last week kind of has me in a funk because it's been a little bit slower. I really hope this next week's going to be a double banger. In the NFT space. Guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Again, thank you all so much for listening to 44 episodes of the Shot to the Moon podcast. We will see you all on episode number 45 next week. Same time, same place. My name is Sean Pfeiffer. As always, good night, good skill. Most importantly, God bless.
Did you enjoy today's show? Leave us a review for a chance to win a free NFT next week. Join us every Wednesday and make sure you're following us on all of our social media accounts at Shot to the Moon. More huge names in the space, more celebrities, more athletes, more giveaways, and more surprises coming soon. Everything you've listened to in this podcast is an opinion and not financial advice. Please invest responsibly. Dispatch number 16, a divided ship. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating, said Alacron, as he exclaimed the relic King Aras had used to activate the Simeon War Defense Shield. The Theoluvians and Aras had gathered around a quieter part of the flight deck within Destiny's Fortune to examine a piece given from the High Protectors a little further without drawing too much attention to themselves. Okay, what are we all looking at over here? said Commander Vaughn, a plethora of recruits tilting their heads to see what the commotion was all about. So much for being discreet, muttered King Aras, as he attempted to shield some of the relic from the rest of the ship. My bad, my bad said Commander Vaughn. But seriously, have we figured out what the key in this doohickey thing the Deadheads guy gave us are? Not quite, but we'll still soon know. This relic is some sort of ancient magic that neither Ringbolt nor I have ever seen before, said Aras, not trying to raise his voice too much to attract attention. While he trusted his Theoluvian brothers, he was a tad bit unsure of the humans aboard the ship. 
You have nothing to fear, Commander, said Ringbolt, his calming presence always coming in handy these days. We, the Alluvians, have seen many a war in our time, while Nifty's recruiting of the once-thought folklore Legion of Wind is something that we didn't see coming. These are powers, such as this, that all across the galaxy we can definitely trust in. Before the commander could respond, an announcement interrupted the conversation going into the flight deck. Attention, recruits! We are approaching Brazoria. Time to strap in and prepare for landing, said Flight Engineer Reimer over the ship's intercom system. Duty calls, said Commander Vaughn, as he headed towards the control panel to prepare for another new adventure. The hangar surrounding Brazoria could be seen from hundreds of miles away. The blinding lights of the casino stretching far and wide into the vast sector of the Ardirian galaxy. Despite being at the edge of the Zialta sector, Brazoria was a highly sought-after resort and casino known as a getaway. It was also known for its excitement and the occasional black market firefight. As Destiny's Fortune landed, successfully this time, they were greeted by the Deadhead's leader that they had just met and saved on the planet of Simia. The commanders were the first to be greeted, coming down this slipway. Welcome to Brazoria, humans of Earth. My name is Tylea, servant and follower of the Meta. My responsibilities and loyalties lie with Brazoria, a refuge for thousands of species across the galaxy. We hope that you enjoy your time here, so much so that we'll be giving each member of your ship 200 credits each to use inside of our casino. We hope that you enjoy your time here. And this is just a little sliver of paradise. The commanders both matched Tylea and exchanged slight bows in each other's direction, the excitement growing inside both of them. A casino, 200 credits? Sliver of paradise. The Galaxy Hub sounded like an absolute dream. Commander Sean shook Tylea's hand awkwardly as a sign of human confirmation as Commander Vaughn rounded up all the recruits who informed them of the good news. It was a brief holiday for Destiny's Fortune. As soon as Commander Vaughn was getting all of the recruits out of Destiny's Fortune into the Brazorian Casino, he noticed that there was still a group of them huddled around King Aras and the Theolluvians. The commander walked over, enthusiastically approaching them. But he stopped as soon as he noticed how intrinsically deep in thought the entire group was. They were fully engulfed in this never-seen-before technology. Uh... Hate to break this up, guys, but our casino paradise awaits, said the commander with a hint of uncertainty in his voice. Link looked up from his concentrated gaze, which threw Aras off, which irritated Alecron enough to the point where he was going to get a little bit snippy with Vaughn. Commander, it's in our best interest that we stay here and continue to research the ins and outs of the relic technology. It is absolutely imperative to our journey, and we'd much rather figure why try to give away the galaxy to Nifty than gamble a bunch of money away at a slimy casino. I know that you're trying your best, but this is just a distraction. 
there are more pressing matters at hand. Very well, said Commander Vaughn, his tone darker and more serious than usual. You all can have fun looking at your key thing while I win millions of credits and get us all the food and weapons that we'll ever need. King Aras and Ringbolt locked eyes, rolling them in the process of dealing with the four-sided commander. If you don't mind, Commander, we'd like to sideline some of your astrophysicists. They seem to be up to the challenge in trying to find out how things are over here, said Ringbolt, eager to get to work with his team. If they're okay with it, I'm okay with it. Fire away, said Commander Vaughn, as he did a 180 and turned back towards the slipway, heading towards the casino. Hit my two-way if you need anything. You know where to find me. With 95% of Destiny's fortune off the ship to enjoy a brief moment of vacation, Ringbolt, Aras, and the rest of the Shots of the Moon team buckled down, obsessed with cracking that code that was the seal of Ilsendor. The first relic already in place within the seal reminded the group of hurtful past experiences, but also a building feeling of optimism within the untouched galaxy. Recruits, it's time for you to choose what you think happens next. Select one to experience Vaughn under the influence yet again. Select two for a backstory of one of the Alluvians. And select three if you think a recruit hits a jackpot using Brazorian credits at the casino. Head to the Choose Your Own Adventure channel in the Shot to the Moon Discord and discuss your choices with fellow Space Pass holders. Listen to next week's podcast to hear what happens next.